Hello and welcome to the Oasis Church podcast. Wisdom is living well in this world. It doesn't mean that everything goes well for you. It it means that whatever life is throwing at you, being able to live well through that experience. For what could be more foolish or weak or despised than a crucified man? A man dying on a cross in disgrace. And yet 1 Corinthians says that Christ has become for us the wisdom of God. Thanks for joining us. Today's reading is from Proverbs 1 verses 1 to 7 from the New Living Translation. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, King of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for that very uh, exceptionally warm welcome today. Um, We're continuing this morning to think about wisdom for life. We're going to be exploring the book of Proverbs, as Mike introduced to us uh, last week, which is all about helping us to learn how to live well in God's world in all kinds of different areas of our lives. Uh, And today we're going to look at wisdom's beginnings, uh, the foundation that we are called to build into our lives that sits at the base of everything uh, and provides the solid ground that we need uh, to learn what it is to live a life living well in God's world. And the foundation uh, of all knowledge and wisdom, Solomon says in verse 7, is to fear God, is to fear God. And immediately, um, that statement kind of brings the tone down a little bit, doesn't it? Um, it's, it's one that jars with us, I know it's one that jars with me, um, because we live in a culture that instinctively shies away from the word fear, that thinks that fear is something which is bad that we need to be rid of. But the reality and the truth is that all of us have fears, don't we? What are your fears? Well, we're going to find out um, because we're going to start this morning with a bit of a quiz. Uh, And today we're going to be playing a quiz that I've called Scary or Not Scary. And it's even got its own theme tune as well. So uh, this morning we're going to have up on the screen a number of different images. uh, And I want you to tell me whether or not they are scary uh, or not scary. And so here in the room we're going to do a show of hands. Um, If you're joining us online this morning, I want you to uh, pop your answers down uh, on the chat feed so that we can see whether you think these are scary or not scary. So let's play scary or not scary. It's okay. I'm loving this. I'm having too much fun with this. Okay, first one. Uh, Let's see the first image up on the screen, which is spiders. Okay, spiders. Um, So let's have a a show of hands. Scary. Scary, okay. There's a good number of hands going in. What about not scary? 
Okay, there's a number of people claiming to not be scared of spiders, which is excellent because being quite an old building here at South Street, there are a number around the building uh, today. Okay, so that's a good number for, for spiders. Secondly, uh, flying. Okay, scary to fly or not to fly? So, scary? Okay, only a few, interestingly. Not scary? Yeah, confident people, you know. It's actually pretty safe, isn't it, flying? Um, third one? Heights. Okay, so heights. Who is scared of heights? Hands in the air for that one. Yeah, okay. Just under half probably for that one. Not scary. Very confident climbing to uh, the top of the Birmingham Library to look out on the skyline um, of our wonderful city. Next one. Uh, thunderstorms. Okay, a big thunderstorm. Thunder and lightning. Let's have uh, scary. That's okay. Yeah, a few of us. A few of us. Um, and what about not scary? Yeah, most people are confident uh, in a thunderstorm, although I wonder if you would be so confident in a thunderstorm if you're sheltering under a tree, uh, kind of as lightning is crashing around us. Uh, and the last one, waterfalls. Okay, waterfalls, scary or not scary? Um, scary? Okay, a couple of us, yeah. Uh, and not scary? Most of us, not scary. Again, though, I'd imagine if you're in a barrel floating towards the top of Niagara Falls... Uh, you probably would have a slightly different uh, perspective on that one. So, all of us have different things that we're scared of, don't we? But I think we also recognize that fear isn't always bad. That we might not find particularly a, a thunderstorm or a waterfall scary, apart from in particular and certain contexts. But we can see that to those things in particular, there's an element to the power and the might of them that does cause us to be a little bit fearful, but it's part of their beauty and their awe and their wonder. It's part of their nature to be fearsome, but it's not a bad thing. Uh, To make a thunderstorm not scary, you kind of have to take away uh, the thunder and the lightning, and all you're left with is rain. And that's not very scary at all. There's positive fear and negative fear. Fear that causes us to almost draw close in wonder and fear that causes us to shy away in terror. And that's important to remember because the word fear in our culture has become something that is seen as almost entirely negative. So much of life in our modern world has been organized to try and eradicate as many different sources of fear as possible. And although terrible things do still happen... We have much less to fear in our day-to-day lives than almost any society who's ever lived throughout history. And yet, as a culture, we are also, I think it's fair to say, more anxious and more inclined to fear than almost any society in history. In our interconnected world, someone's fears can travel the world at light speed. The latest news story about a terrible event, the latest speech about uh, decrying this uh, global threat um, or that dangerous group, the latest forecasts on the economy or the climate, the latest warnings about eating too much of this or not enough of that, all of them get pulled together and amplified into our cultural atmosphere, leaving us, I think, as one of the most anxious and fearful cultures In history, when you would think that the level of safety and security, the freedoms that we enjoy, should cause the opposite. 
And all of that can leave us a little bit confused when it comes to passages like this in the Bible. Passages calling us to fear God. This isn't a one-off. Over and over again in the Bible, it uses this language. But don't we have more than enough to fear in the world without adding God to that list? Doesn't fearing God stand at odds with everything that we speak about, everything we've just sung about, about the love and the grace and the goodness and the kindness and mercy of God? Doesn't perfect love cast out fear? So how could we fear God? And I want to be really clear with this one. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, what it absolutely and categorically does not mean is that we should be afraid of God. It doesn't mean that at all. In fact, the kind of fear that we are to have of God is not the same kind of fear that I would have uh, towards a tarantula, um, the kind that makes me want to run away, the kind that makes me want to hide and get as far away from all those little kind of creepy crawly um, whiskers and sensors as possible. It's much more like the kind of fear that I would have towards a raging waterfall or a dynamic thunderstorm, that while I tremble in awe and wonder at the power and majesty on display, I find that it doesn't cause me to shy away, it causes me to be drawn in, leaning closer because there's a part of me that recognizes that I'm in the presence of something that could crush me in an instant, but at the same time is utterly beautiful and captivating and beyond my comprehension. And C.S. Lewis uses a similar picture to this for God in his Narnia series. He depicts God as Aslan, a great lion, fearsome and mighty, yet tender and kind at the same time. And we're just going to watch a short video clip now from one of the Narnia films, Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. When you watch, see how Lucy and Mr. Tumnus the Fawn uh, describe Aslan. Let's roll that now. Don't worry. We'll, we'll see, see him, him again. again. In, In time. One, One day he'll be here, and the next he won't. But, but you mustn't press him. After, After all, he's, he's not, not a tame lion. No, no. But he is good. You need it more than I do. C.S. Lewis's books, The Horse and His Boy. Um, the central characters, uh, a horse and a boy, um, very helpfully titled that one for us, um, go on a journey interspersed with different interactions with different lions. 
only for Aslan to reveal at the end of the story, and sorry for the spoilers here, that there was only ever one lion, that he was the lion who drove the jackals from them while they slept, that he was the cat who comforted them in times of anxiety and worry, that he was the lion who spurred on the horses with a new strength of fear so that they could reach their destination in time and save the day. And he was the lion that the boy didn't remember who tenderly guided him to safety in his darkest and most desperate moment. He's not a tame lion, but he is good. And I think that picture can help us when we think about the fear of the Lord because it roots our understanding, uh, it roots our response to God in our understanding of his character as one who is wholly and completely good. It shows us that God's fearsomeness is not at odds with his love or his mercy or his grace, but it's an expression of it. The Bible portrays God in Hosea 13:8 as like a mother bear fiercely rescuing her cubs. Or in Jeremiah 20, verse 11, as a fierce warrior coming to our side in a time of need. There's a kind of fearsomeness that we shy away from and one that we are drawn towards because we know that even if it unsettles us, it speaks of a truth that is deep and rich and right. That as we contemplate the scale of God's holiness and his justice, his perfect opposition to all that is wrong and evil in our world, it should cause a sense of discomfort and disquiet within us. It should shake us out of any sense of apathy that we might be living with towards the wrongs in our lives and in our world. It should challenge any sense of puffed up self-sufficiency that we can be the answer, that we can fix the problems of sin in our hearts and our relationships and our communities and our systems and structures in the world. It should do away with any sense of casualness or flippancy towards God that treats him as an add-on to an already busy schedule. No, Solomon says, if you want wisdom, if you want to learn how to live well in the world, young or old, rich or poor, simple or wise, I'm definitely on the simple front there, you need to start by fearing God, by coming almost with sweaty palms and trembling knees before the God of all creation, the one who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, the one who designed every atom and counted every blade of grass, and yet wonderfully, majestically, tenderly has drawn close to us. We start by recognizing that he is the king, sovereign over every square inch of creation, even as he stoops to wash his disciples' feet. The commander of angel armies who hoisted a heavy splintered cross onto his own back and dragged it down the road while the crowds hurled abuse at him. The God who hung stars in the sky yet let himself be hung upon a wooden cross to bear the weight of the world's brokenness and humanity's sin and death's curse. 
How could we not look on a God like that and tremble? Mike Reeves puts it like this. The fear of the Lord cannot be a negative, gloomy duty. It's an ecstasy of love and joy that senses how overwhelmingly kind and magnificent, good and true God is, and that therefore leans on him in staggered praise and faith. Staggered praise and faith. That's how I'm to approach. It's coming and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't make sense of a world that is so beautiful and yet so broken. I can't make sense of the areas in my life where I'm struggling to see a breakthrough, but it's just not coming. I can't make sense of how to love that coworker who's a bit of a nightmare or balance my budget when energy prices are going through the roof or parent my kids when they're struggling at school or deal with my grief at the passing of a friend or grapple with the questions of identity that are filling my thoughts. I can't do it on my own. I can't will my way to wisdom by drumming something up from inside. But that as the Spirit causes us to gaze again, as we've already done this morning, at the wonder of who God is, of what he's done in Christ. Our old fears are expelled and a right fear is birthed. New life welling up that pushes out old habits. Our foolishness, our pride, our lethargy, our anxiety, everything that stops us from living wisely and acting well in the world. New life that teaches us how not to be wise in our own eyes, but to walk in God's ways as those who do what is right and just and fair. In just a moment's time, we're going to have an opportunity again. The band are going to come up uh, and join me. And we're going to come and look again at this God. We're going to marvel at the wonder of who he is. Why don't we come again in this moment, come before this God of greatness and grace. Come with fear and trembling and wonder and awe, trusting that he is the source of all wisdom and all knowledge, all life and all hope, all power and all majesty, all kindness and all compassion. And that though he isn't tame, he is good. And his fearsomeness is the kind that is designed to cause us to draw close, not to shy away. That's the invitation again that we've already had this morning. We're going to have again now. Not to shy away, but to draw close. I wonder if you're able, why don't we stand together? I'm going to pray again. Father, I thank you that you are the God of greatness and grace. That your heart is always for us to draw close. And Lord, we never want to be those who take you for granted. 
who treat you with such uh, familiarity that we're able to just put you on the shelf when we feel like there are other things going on in our lives that make us too busy or too concerned with other stuff. God, help us to be those who keep coming back to you with fear and trembling and awe and wonder. Keep drawing close in staggered praise and faith at the wonder of who you are.